we all know that uh, kings have been an influential part of history. And when I say that, I mean that beyond law and leadership. Um, it's obvious that, that great kings and strong kings have influenced history by, by the things, by the wars they've fought, you know, Julius Caesar and these emperors. And, and they've been great and uh, dominant influences, and in the, in the, the tide of, of history has, has swung with, with powerful rulers. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, they also have a, an important role in culture itself, and sometimes that's even very incidental. To give you an example, uh, at some point in time, probably you've uh, either heard or, or some of you might have even gone to, if you like to go to plays or whatever, you've gone to uh, a production of uh, Handel's Messiah, right? Christmas time, everybody goes to Handel's Messiah. Anybody ever gone there? Okay, so we've have, we have a few that have gone to uh, Handel's Messiah. And um, at the end, right before the end, we come to the, the Hallelujah Chorus. And what happens at the beginning, not the end, but the beginning of Handel's, uh, or, or, or the, the Hallelujah Chorus at the, at, the end of, uh, at the end of this play? All right. Everybody stands up. It's like, wait a minute, why don't we wait till the end uh, of this to, to stand up. Uh, you know, the encore typically comes at the end. Uh, you know, do the standing ovation at the end, but everyone stands up at the beginning of this chorus. Why do people do that? Well, uh, at the time, uh, it was introduced in, uh, it was, had been done in Germany, but uh, it was produced uh, for the first time in, in uh, England in 1743. And, uh, at this chorus, as it begins, King George, who was in attendance, stands up. Right? So when the king stands up, everybody stands up. And, uh, and so that's the history of this. But there's more, actually, to the story that's, that's very interesting. Is, you know, because this is used for, um, a lot of people say, wow, this was so moving to, to King George. And, um, and, and it might have been. There's some dispute as to this, this story, even. But, but there's, uh, there's this interesting thing that, that someone gave this theory that uh, it's known at the time that King George, well, why did he stand up? Well, it's a long play, for one. And King George actually suffered from gout. Uh, and so they said he might have been just standing up to stretch. It's a kind of a long play. And so he, it's possible that this, this, this great tradition that we, that we are carrying on over 200 years later, Owes to uh, somebody uh, important who merely wanted to stretch, and possibly having nothing to do with the song itself, or the chorus itself, or the or the play itself. And, uh, that, that's interesting. We have great and dramatic impacts uh, that, that we see in culture from kings. There's a lot of those. There's a lot of different types of things like that. That that beyond their deliberate attempts, sometimes non-deliberate attempts have this great uh, importance on culture. But, but kings have, uh, you know, kings have this importance. Now, let me switch gears just a little bit. Everyone knows the 23rd Psalm. If you don't know it by heart, you know it kind of close to it. And, and certainly everyone here would recognize the 23rd Psalm. Now, some of us 
you know, you memorize it when you're a kid and you kind of really have it, you know, every once in a while it kind of comes up and you, uh, you, you have like a thing where everyone's supposed to uh, read it together or something. Maybe it's at a, at a funeral or, or maybe some other thing, you know, some... And everyone's kind of expected, you know, to, to kind of to know it. And you don't always know it. I mean, you kind of know, yeah, though I walked in the valley of shadow death, that part I remember. And uh, uh, something about still waters, and I don't always know the order. And there's times, there's, there's a couple of spots in there where I'm like, right? kind of like last week when we had the, um, when the projector kind of went out during that story. And if you didn't have the song book in front of you, right, some of you are, are hardliners, and you're just going to keep that book, even if the words are up there on the screen. That's all right. And, and so you were okay when the, when the screen went out. But sometimes, you know, those of us who depend on that screen, that goes out. And then there's that verse where you're either trying to look over the shoulder of the person in front of you and read the words that you can't see that far. You just kind of mumble until the screen comes back, right? You know what I was saying. And then this, Psalms 23 is kind of like that. You kind of know it. And then you have to mumble. I don't remember that part, so I just kind of mumble it, right? But we know 23rd Psalm. At least when you hear it, you know 23rd Psalm. Well, it's a nice psalm. I mean, it's all about the nice things, right? Uh, still waters and green pastures and, and, and a feast with, with God. And it's, it's full of these nice pictures. And how many of you know the 24th psalm? I mean, the 24th psalm, it's the next one. And, the four, you know, the 24th psalm is kind of like Ringo Starr. Just kind of hanging out with all the famous people. Right? The 24th psalm is right there with... The 23rd Psalm, it's a good one. Then it just nobody kind of pays any attention to it. We all just know the 23rd Psalm. Well, today we're going to look at the 24th Psalm. So turn the end, it's not too long. We're going to read the whole thing. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and those who live in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty and bow. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. We like the 23rd Psalm. Here's the picture of the gentle shepherd, leading us beside still waters and, and leading us in green pastures and, and preparing a banquet for us and, and all the nice pictures. And then comes the 24th Psalm, the king of glory, the king in battle. Not quite so nice picture. Battles aren't pretty pictures. It is two different characterizations of God. We like the shepherd. Do we like 
the king. Well, David asks an interesting question. Actually, he asks a bunch of questions in here. He says, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? You ever? How do we get to God? Who can get to God? Good news. Uh, we like um, we we all like clickbait. You know that's why they have clickbait because we all click on it, right? I don't click on it right up until you do, right? You see that one thing? Oh, this was some secret from Star Wars or whatever. You click on that, uh, and then the rest it's on the last. It's always on the last. The thing you really are interested. The the hook is always. I don't care about that. I don't care about the click to the next one. Click to the next one, and like 47 pages later, I'm like, oh really? That's it? Okay. Like ah oh, man, they got me. I'm a sucker for clickbait. And and it used to be before before the internet. It was the 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 magazines you'd go through and it's like three easy steps to do whatever three five easy steps or six whatever it was easy steps to this and that was the the original clickbait that was the original thing that's the the original hook how to do this and preachers aren't immune there's all all sorts of books uh 10 things your church needs to do to be relevant or whatever the thing is you know it, it, it we all are into those things and, and david here asks a question how do you get to god Three easy steps. There's three easy steps to get to God. Three things to check off. He says, and so here's David's three-step plan to God. Who can get to God? These three people. These are the three things, those with clean hands. Oh, pretty, pretty easy. Well, what are hands? Hands are metaphors for actions, for what you do. And so he's talking about those whose lifestyles are clean. Hands do, hands make. What have your hands made? Well, if they've done all good stuff, you get to go to God. Congratulations, you passed the first test. Are the results of my actions, have the results of my actions been all good all the time? Congratulations, you passed the first test. Oh, this is a harder test than I thought. Ever had one of those tests you thought was easy in school? Like, ah, oh, this is going to be, I'm, I've got this, I've read this, I'm so, you get there like, none of the questions that I studied are on this test. Three easy steps to God. That's a harder test than I thought. We're at the first one, and I'm sorry, I'm gone. <laughs> I've already flunked out off the first question. Those with clean hands. But David says, hey, good news, there's more. Those with pure hearts. Oh. Okay, I've been perfect my whole life in what I've done. Good. How are your motives? <laughs> um, how are the thoughts that you've had? Have you ever had that thought, like, I would really like to do X to this person, but you're a nice guy, so you don't do it. God says, too bad. You thought it. Wow. That's a high standard, David. So, those with clean hands and those with pure motives. If you've never had bad motives, 
Any bad intents? Congratulations, you have passed the second test. What's now? What's in store now? The third one. Well, this one. I, I wish we did this in, in reverse form because I think I would have gotten one step further. I, I would have at least felt good about getting past the first step if we would have done these in reverse order because he says, those who have never lifted up their soul to an idol. Well, I've never done that. That's kind of old news. Those idols, we don't do that. I, I got past that one. Well, what is an idol? Let's first talk about what an idol is before we get too excited, because the devil's in those details. The devil's in the fine print. What is an idol? Well, an idol, among other things, it's something of so obviously false. An idol is, is fake. It doesn't exist. But it is a source, a false source, that you attribute success to. That's the first thing. That's what an idol was. They prayed to idols for good crops or for, for whatever. Uh, there, there are all sorts of deities that they had. Um, and, and they would, they would, uh, in, in, uh, in, it's a little bit different. It's not really an idol, but it kind of is. Um, so when we were in, in Ukraine, uh, we were, we were, the other night we were at, uh, last night we were, we were playing Crypto Pursuit and they talked about someone had, uh, the question, uh, what country is the worst documented drivers? And I, I forget. So I think the answer was Austria. And that person had never been to Ukraine. <laughs> Whoever came up with that question never been to Ukraine. Uh, and specifically, the worst place to be on this planet is in a taxi in Ukraine. Um, and they all have what we call a triptych. And the triptych is it's like a, it's a it's a three paneled picture frame, and in the picture frames are, like, their saints that they pray to, and they're, they're all like, like the saints of safety. I'm like, and they think that since they have that there, they can drive however they feel. It doesn't make a difference what side of the road, what speed, you know, because that little thing is there. That's an idol. That is a false sense of security. To anyone who's ever been in the backseat of a Ukrainian taxi, that is a false sense of security, that little thing on that dashboard. But that's what people, people falsely attribute success and, and, and things to what cannot give you security or safety or success. That's an idol. Hoping that a financial position will give me long-term security. That is a false sense of security. Hoping that politicians are going to make problems go away. That is a false sense of security. Hoping they're going to do the right thing. We have so many false senses of security. God says, don't lift up your hearts to those. Another Thing about an idol. What or another identifier? It's what gives you self-worth. Remember, in the book of Acts, they were in the city of Ephesus, and there was this commotion. And and when when they wanted to shut down the apostles because they were preaching strange deities, they started shouting, "Great is Diana of the Ephesians!" See, every city had their little particular. Local thing, and that's where their identity was. 
We are the worshippers of Diana. And this city over here might worship Apollos. And this, this one over here would, would uh, or Apollo, not Apollos, Apollo. And this one would worship Mercury. And this one would worship that and this, that, and the other. Right? And, uh, and so everyone, that was where their identity was stored up in this particular deity. And what gives them self-worth? What gives them self-value? That's your idol. The things you own. Upward social mobility or status acceptance by certain groups. Approval and affirmation. Through the number of likes that I have on Facebook. When we link our individuality and our, our self-worth to things that cannot give it, those are idols. Those things have no eternal value. They have no ability to give you any identity. They are a local deity with no value. The third identity of an idol It is what you sacrifice for yourself. He says, those who have never lifted up their soul. Their soul. That's, in the end, what, what, what an idol is for. It's to offer something to. And we do more than offer stuff to it. So, so my mother visited Japan. And... Uh, where my brother lives, he's married to a Japanese girl, and every every house has a has a god room, a little altar or, or a god shelf. Some just have the shelf. And she says it was just like being in the Old Testament while she visited there. They they in the morning they just go there and they put their food out in front of, on the on the little rug in front of the gods that they have, and then they take it away at night. Nothing happened. But they offered up to the idol. And it's silly. But he says, those who have never offered up themselves, what will you sacrifice for? That's your God. That's your idol. If there is a conflict, for example, in my schedule, what gets sacrificed? Does God get sacrificed for my schedule? Then whatever I sacrifice for, that's my idol. Is entertainment my idol? Will I choose between entertainment and God? That's my idol. Entertainment is my idol. It has no real value. And I will sacrifice myself and God for it. When the budget gets tight... What gets sacrificed? What gets lifted up to the other? The one at the top is what I worship. Which one gets sacrificed? David says, whatever one you offer up, that determines. And if you've never, ever lifted up, if you've never sacrificed yourself, to something other than God, congratulations, you passed the third test. I cannot 
pass a single one of these. I cannot pass a single one of these. Thank you, David. That was a useless test. No, because there's more. Because there's more to this psalm. Thank goodness that he finishes this psalm and doesn't leave it at verse 4. But he says in verse 7, Lift up your heads, O gates, and the King of glory shall come in. You see, I cannot get to God's hill. And so God comes to me. Because I can't get there. Because I can't pass a single test. God says, you ain't going to get there. I'm going to have to come to you. My goodness. There is verse 7 through 10. This was a test of trick questions. I cannot get there. So the king has come to us. But who is this king? Who is this king? He is strong in battle. Now, I want you to understand, he's not just saying he's a strong force to be reckoned with. He's, he's some, you know, you don't want to go into to this match lightly. You know, you take him seriously. That's not what he's saying. When he says he's strong in battle, this is saying he is superior in might. He is superior, but he is not just superior to the enemy. What he's trying to illustrate is he is superior to all the other things that you would rely upon. He is the Lord strong in battle. See, at this point in time, you go back and you, you look at David. It was always about forming alliances. That's what Israel was about. Who do we form an alliance with? We have a battle against Syria. So who are we going to do? Let's go over here and let's see if we can get this group on our side and we can defeat them. Then when they have a problem, we'll go over there and help them. It was all about alliances. Okay, we're having this problem. Let's go see if we can get Egypt to help. Okay, now we're having a problem with Egypt. Let's see if Syria will help us. That was the way they do it. So he says, listen, it's the Lord strong in battle. You don't need all these alliances. Don't make alliances with all these things. And so he says, all these little gods that you have, all these things that you would offer up yourself to, to make an alliance to fight your battle for you, those are useless. It is the Lord strong in battle. He's the only one that will fight and win. Who is this King of glory, the Lord of hosts? What? The Lord of hosts, what does that mean? The Lord of armies. As we say, there's unlimited number of idols. You can attach yourself and you can put any number of things in the place of God. It's unlimited. The world offers many things to fight your battles for you. They offer many things for you to derive your self-worth from. But it is the Lord who has many armies at his disposal. 
He is the master, the, the director of all these armies. You go to him directly through prayer. But he has armies at his disposal. He has angels. I know that's kind of one of those fantastical things we talk about. And it's kind of, is it real? No, it's just kind of things we talk about. It's hard to imagine it sometimes and it's kind of almost mythical. But he has angels at his disposal. The scriptures, what a host, what a wealth of power at his disposal to help you. What a treasure to look through and find any number of answers to problems that we have. What a force to be reckoned with. And the church. Let us not forget the church. We are part. We are called the Lord's army. To know that in difficult times, the Lord has a host that is willing to assist you. Willing to be there. He is the Lord of hosts. Open the gates. Oh, what a poetical statement. Open the gates. Oh, no it's not. Picture yourself in a typical city. Picture yourself in Jerusalem. For this is what's pictured here. And you've got your defenses. Here comes the army. You can see them because you're up on a hill. You can see them from a distance. Here comes the army, the enemy. And God says, open the gates. Are you nuts? Are you nuts? That's my only defense against the armies. God says, listen, you open your gates and I'll come in. Open the gates. Make yourself vulnerable. You are going to have to make yourself vulnerable. You can't get up there. So God's going to have to come down here. For God to come down here and defend you, you are going to have to make yourself vulnerable. You are going to have to open your gates. It's not the pretty picture that we like. Just open your heart. That's not what he's saying. Open the gates. Let down your guard. Stop fighting. Stop trying to defend yourself. Stop trying to make your own way and pretending that you're going to be able to handle all of it yourself. You cannot. You're surrounded. You're going to lose. Unless you submit to the King of Glory. Unless you let His plan be the one you live your life by. Unless you let His defenses be your source of protection. Open the gates so that the King of Glory can come in.
I'm going to see what the guys, uh, the women are going to sing the lead, and uh, actually we have, there we go, we're going to very soon. Let's go ahead and stand for this song. Uh, the guys have the lead in the melody, so count on you. 